Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I don't know what's to come. I'm constantly like trying to help my kids to see this too. Of like, I know we get ahead of ourselves and we want to think down the road and I'm all for planning. I love planning and all that, but I don't even know if we'll get tomorrow. But what we have is right now. So what are you doing right now? What's the deal right now? Right now we praise Him. That's what we do. With everything that we have, with our work, with our relationships, with our speech, with everything, I just want to praise Him. Because I know I have today. I know I have today. And He's on the move. He's on the move. As Christians, it's easy to get too comfortable with the world in our walk with Jesus. Have you ever been called by God and ignore His voice because you're clinging to your worldly comforts? Well, today in his message, Pastor James wants you to know that although you're living in this world, you're not of it. When you're living a life that's sold out for Jesus, then you're storing up treasures in his kingdom. Don't check out from this world completely, but rejoice in God's promise of eternity with him. Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Zechariah chapter 3 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Chapter 3, which is, I mean, the whole letter is just one continual thing. It's not like Zechariah sits down and he's like, chapter 2, verse 1, right? And then, oh, now it's time for chapter 3. It's just all continuous. And so he goes right into verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, then the Lord showed me Joshua, or as the New Living Translation says, Joshua, okay? But it's, it's Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, the accuser, Satan, Okay, Uh, the accuser is, he is the accuser. In case you haven't, you know, had this encounter with him yet, you must be new to Christianity, but um, he stands in the presence of the Lord and he makes accusation about you. I don't, I can't say all the time because he's not omnipresent and he's not omniscient and he's not, he doesn't know everything. Okay, but he does make a case against Christians. He does. Just read the book of Job, okay? It says, the accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand making accusations against Joshua. So here's the high priest who has no temple because it needs to be rebuilt, but nobody's rebuilding the temple because they're all disappointed and they're bombed out because it's like, we keep working, but it doesn't seem like we're doing anything. But here you have a high priest who has like, no place to serve. And as he's standing before the Lord, the accuser is standing right next to the high priest making accusations about Joshua. Here's what you need to know concerning your relationship with Satan, who used to be your dad. All right? All right? You got, at one point in time, whether you like it or not, you were on his side. Okay, I know that's a hard reality. That's like, I was never pro-Satan. I didn't say you're pro-Satan or anything. Like I didn't, but at one point in time, you belonged to him. Like you were on his side, okay? That's why you're transferred from darkness into light. You were reborn into the family of God, okay? So now you can cry out to God as your Abba, as your Papa. 
But Satan is right there making accusations. It says he's making accusations against Joshua. Here's, what you, here's how you handle this. Just let the Lord deal with it. Even in uh, Jude, I believe it is, um, angel, one of the archangels, is it Michael, I think, uh, who, who uh, rebukes Satan and says, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. I don't need to yell and shout at Satan. Okay, that, that's actually foolish to do that. Okay, I know there's some stuff that's out there and it's like, you just need to shout at the devil and, you know, all that stuff. And I, it's like, no, actually you don't. Don't, you don't need to say anything to him. You don't need to say anything to him because you're really terrible at defending yourself against some, probably some very true accusations, all right? Because he's got dirt on you, all right? Now, those sins are covered, but that's why you don't need to, it's like these guys who want to represent themselves in trial settings, right? You, you got inmates sometimes who are like, no, nah, I think I'll represent myself. You're like, that's probably a bad idea. Why, why, why is that? Because you don't know law. Like, I mean, you think you're great, but you're probably going to go down in flames. So why don't you let somebody who's way better at it be your defense? You have somebody who is infinitely better at defending you than you are. And his name is Jesus. So even within this text, it says, verse 2, the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusation, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. So the Lord's like, eh, Satan, I rebuke you. Joshua didn't need to rebuke Satan. Joshua didn't need to say anything. Because Joshua had the high priest, the advocate standing next to him, saying, no, 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 covered. Well, I snatched that dude out of the fire. I, I, he, he once belonged to you. I snatched him out of the fire. He belongs to me now. That means that my righteousness has been imputed to him. He is covered. And whatever you may accuse him of having done, it's covered. It's covered. You let the Lord defend you, whether it's from Satan or from some of his minions, right, who like are populating this earth and sometimes like to go to church. You let the Lord be your defense. You don't have to say nothing. Like, yeah, yeah, probably what you're saying is true. I don't know. Probably. But man, the Lord, praise God for his forgiveness that he can forgive me for this. Thing. Praise God that he snatched this burning stick out of the fire. Now look at Joshua though. Like here's, this is really kind of cool. Like, so if you, if you can envision this, this, uh, this, I'm going to call it a courtroom setting. Here's Joshua, verse 3. It says, Joshua's clothing was filthy as he stood before the angel. So the angel said to others standing there, take off his filthy clothes or his filthy rags. Right? So it's like Joshua is clothed in his own righteousness. And, they, and, and the Lord's like, take off his filthy rags. As Isaiah 64, 6 would say, your, filthy ra- your, your righteousness is like filthy rags to me. And he's like, no, we're going to clothe them in our righteousness. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna clean Joshua up. And he says, and turning to Joshua, he said, see, I've taken away your sins. And now I'm giving you these new or these fine new clothes. So there's Joshua, filthy, 
standing before the Lord, and then there's Satan like, look how dirty you are. Who do you think you are, Joshua? Oh, you're a high priest? Look how filthy you are. You think God would ever want to use you? You better be glad that the temple, the temple is all busted up because look how you're, you're in no state to be used by God. Look at who you are. Look at the things you've done. Look at the state you find yourself in. Accusation, accusation, accusation. And God's, Jesus is like, shut up. Stop talking. Put some new clothes on him. Dress him up. And Zachariah's watching this whole thing happen. Like he's seeing this whole thing happen. And then he jumps in on this whole thing. It's crazy. So it, as they're dressing him with these new fine clothes, verse 5, it says, then I said, this is Zechariah, they should also place a clean turban on his head. Go all out. Like Zechariah's like, I know the word. I remember Exodus. I remember Leviticus. I remember Numbers. I remember all those books. Put a turban on that dude's head because he's a high priest. Give him the full outfit, God. And it's so cool for Zechariah to see this because Joshua was the high priest at the time when Zechariah was the prophet. And so he's seeing his, his, his buddy there as God is doing this tremendous work on his friend who I don't even know if Joshua's, I, I mean, he's in the story. How does that work if this is a vision and all this stuff? I have no idea. This is weird, kind of like some sort of other dimensional kind of thing, maybe. I don't know. Or if it's just like two guys are part of this vision together. And, but here's Zachariah's like, put a turban on his head. Because he is a high priest. So, so they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord spoke very solemnly to Joshua and said, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. If you follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyards. I will let you walk among these others standing here. So God's like, I'm going to put some conditions on this thing. If you serve me, if you follow me, number one, follow me, follow all my ways, carefully serve me, then, if, then, if you do this, then this will be the result, okay? So show up, do what you've been called to do, follow the Lord in all your ways, carefully serve him. This applies to each and every one of us. Then there's, there's a good result for just being faithful to what God's called you to do. Will, will it be this type of result? Or, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the end result is. Because if it comes from God, then it's a good thing. And you want that good thing. Okay? Verse uh, 8, he says, Listen to me, O Joshua, the high priest, and all you other priests. You are the symbols of things to come. Soon I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. This is Jesus that he's talking about, the Messiah. Now look at the jewel I have set before Joshua, a single stone with seven uh, facets or seven eyes, right? Which is kind of weird imagery here, but you got a stone, uh, a single stone with seven eyes on it or facets, it's, and seven is the number of perfection or completion, all right? So essentially what he's saying is like, the Messiah is coming, he's going to have, he's going to be perfect, all knowledge, all wisdom, all of it. All the attributes of God, I mean, are going to be there present within Jesus, right? So um, he's just like, here's a stone, and here's an, I'm going to engrave an inscription upon it, says the Lord of heaven's army. I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. Now we're getting into future stuff. 
On that day, says the Lord of heaven's army, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit with you peacefully under your own grapevine and fig tree. So he, he's setting these guys up where he's like, all right, look, I, I've set you aside, set you apart, I should say, to do, to do a specific thing. And this is for Zechariah and for Joshua. Serve me in these specific things. Oh, and by the way, uh, there's going to be a branch that shows up, and that's Jesus, that's the Messiah. And then uh, and, and, and what he brings, maybe not in the first one, but definitely in the second one, is going to be peace that surpasses all your understanding. And not only as Isaiah, um, I can't remember what the reference is, where Isaiah references, it might have been 11, where he talks about, you know, the millennial kingdom and kids playing with snakes and lions laying down with lambs and all this crazy stuff. Like that comes when Jesus comes back. So there's, a, there's this element of like peace that, that earth has never really known uh, that will be a, a result of Jesus establishing his throne here on this planet. He's going to restore everything. Israel is going to be cleansed. Israel will be restored. That's what he's in the business of doing because, number one, Jerusalem's his place, and Israel is his people. It's his people. And he loves them, and he cares about them. And, and I, I, don't, I know that there's some different theological viewpoints out there concerning like replacement theology where it's like the church has replaced Israel. God's not done with Israel. He's not. Okay, he's not. He still has plans for Israel. Just keep reading the whole book and you'll see that. But I want to cross-reference a few things for you guys real quick, just to remind you of the realities of, of belonging to him, the realities of being the apple of his eye. There's good and bad things that come with that. Bad things meaning there's going to be attacks and there's going to be uh, accusations and all that good stuff from it. A very real enemy uh, who's not a myth or a legend. It's just, he's the accuser. And he roams around this planet seeking whom he may devour, okay? Which, you know, he's on the hunt. Uh, Revelation 12.10 says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across from the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser, that Satan, of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Right? So there's the reality of being a Christ follower is that you have an enemy, but he's not an enemy that you have to necessarily overcome. Jesus is fighting that for you. Okay? He will be your defense. And in fact, it continues on in Revelation. And they have defeated him by what? By the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. Okay? Um, so it says that they didn't love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time, right? So the victory is yours in Jesus, okay? So that there's an enemy. He's going to stand before the Lord. He wants to accuse you, him or some of his minions or whoever else wants to whisper in your ear nonstop, you're worthless, you're not worth it. Who do you think you are? Look how dirty you are. Look what you did. Look what you thought. Look what you said. All the stuff, which can be true. But that's the, re the, the side of that is like, okay, well, if it's true, then repent of it. Then it's, then it's done. <laughs> then, then it's done, right? So you, you, know, you, can, you hear the saying all the time, right? If, if Satan reminds you of your past, you, you remind him of his future, right? You're like, all right, I know who I am. 
right? But are you aware of what's coming? He, oh, he's aware of what's coming, okay? Probably just so consumed by pride that he thinks he's still gonna, he still has a chance, which is kind of ridiculous. But 1 John, 1 John 1, 9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us, forgive our, uh, us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place within our hearts. Um, you are a sinner. You do sin. Even when you do it, confess it, own it, repent of it. This case is settled, right? Like God's not a liar, okay? Um, says, but uh, John goes on to say in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2, my dear children, I'm writing to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. And he himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. So you have an enemy. He's an accuser. He's going to do what he does best, but you have someone better who's an advocate who covers multitude of sins. And he's there fighting for you on your behalf. And then one last little reference, one that kind of hits home a little bit for us is in uh, Romans chapter 8. It's a good reminder. So yeah, you got an enemy. Yeah, he wants to accuse you. Yeah, and he wants to point out all your flaws and all that. But man, you can go to the Lord. You can confess whatever. There's forgiveness that's found in him. He's your advocate and all that. And then Romans 8, 31 through 39 says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own, right? So there it is, that, that accus- the accuser. No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory, or you are more than a conqueror, is another way of saying it, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And he goes on to say the last little bit, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons. Satan is a demon, a fallen angel. Nothing he says about you can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like, you're good, man. You're set in Jesus. You, there is an accuser. You don't, I, I could read the verses again. You don't have to fight against him. 
The Lord is doing all that for you and has done all that for us. So just like with Zechariah chapter 3, with Joshua, man, it doesn't matter how I stand before the Lord. And if it is and you know, I pick up a bunch of junk and filth or whatever from being in this world, he knows how to clean us up. He knows how to clean us up. And the reality for each and every one of us is we are all sticks snatched from the fire that have been made, put in his presence and made right with him. And there is nothing that no one or no thing can ever do to change that reality. You're the apple of his eye. You're the apple of his eye. He cares tremendously about you. He loves you. He's fighting for you. He's fighting for us in ways that we are not even aware of. We're not even aware of. We don't even know know the battle that's around us, like Elisha's servant, right? Who's just like, Elisha's like, dude, what what are you so stressed about? He's like, uh, the army, and Elisha's like, which one? I'm paraphrasing this, obviously, but he's like, oh, the bad guys? Oh, no, no, look again. Lord, open his eyes. Oh, there was a different army out there. There was an even bigger and badder army out there that was surrounding the bad guys. Elisha's like, what are you worried about? I guess nothing. <laughs> I get, well, I'm, I'm worried about it, obviously, but I guess now I don't have anything. And Elisha's like, no, we don't have to, because the battle belongs to the Lord. David knew that, fighting Goliath. Yeah. David, little kid, you know, maybe 16. Like, what are you doing on a battlefield? You don't belong on the battlefield. He's like, I don't know, I brought cheese. I don't know. Here, I'm like, Dad told me to show up, and here I am. And who's that dude, like, defiling our God with his speech? Is anybody going to stand up? Is anybody? They're like, no, we don't want to die. And if we die, then that means we're slaves. David's like, I'll go. They're like, you're crazy. You can't fight this. He's like, it's not me fighting. See, what David got as a kid, because he sat and he he actually sat silently probably most of the time before the Lord, out in the hills, the fields, and all that stuff with the sheep, and and singing songs and writing down beautiful poetry, what what he got that even the grown men of the day didn't get was that, man, the battle belongs to the Lord. Like, I got a sling, and I got five smooth stones. I only need one. Maybe his four brothers are going to show up, and I'll take them out too. But, like, the battle belongs to the Lord. Like, I'll put the rock in there, and I'll fling it around and all that, but I know that God's going to direct this stone right into that dude's forehead. He's going to take him out. So I'll show up. I'll collect some stones. I'll get a sling. But you know what? Ultimately, this battle's in the Lord's hands. And that's what's true for you and myself today as we we stand before the Lord as his kids, snatched from the fire, cleaned up. You are cleaned. You are covered in his righteousness. That's just who you are. That's who you are. So we want to embrace that reality. And we, we want that to lead us to praising him and to live in a life of like, you know what? I don't know what's to come. I don't know what's to come. I'm constantly like, trying to help my kids to see this too, of like, I know we get ahead of ourselves and we want to think down the road and I'm all for planning. I love planning and all that, but I don't even know if we'll get tomorrow. But what we have is right now. So what are you doing right now? What's the deal right now? Right now we praise him. That's what we do. With everything that we have, with our work, with our relationships, with our speech, with everything, I just want to praise him because I know I have today. I know I have today. And he's on the move. He's on the move. Hopeless, hopeless, red for the broken, 
Have you ever noticed how little kids try to get away with something? Like sneaking a chocolate chip cookie out of the cookie jar. They think they've succeeded, except for that smudge of chocolate left on their cheek. Talk about a tell-all sign. They can't see it, but anyone who looks at them can. Misbehavior has a way of being found out, just as wrongdoing can't hide in the light of God's truth. We see this in the stories of the minor prophets that were sent by God to reveal the sin and the traps that the people of Judah fell prey to. But in the midst of it all, we see Jesus fighting for his people. How? Through these messages. Through continually picking sinners up by their bootstraps with convicting yet encouraging words to live fully surrendered. You've just heard from Pastor James Grizzle and the ministry of Bread for the Broken out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. We appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us today, and our prayer is that you'll find exactly what you've been looking for. We're a group of people of all ages coming together to magnify Jesus. We'd love to have you come join us for a Sunday morning service or a Thursday evening service. You can find out more on our website, breadforthebroken.com. If you feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit to help us spread the good news of the gospel, then click on that donation tab. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all that we have for today's edition with Pastor James Grizzle, but we look forward to meeting with you again here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.